I'll back up. I'll read just a little bit in chapter 1 as well. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and following. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, 
And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and, and uh, the, the gospel message that you communicate to us through it. And how that message brings great joy, great and exceeding joy. Like we see that the wise men uh, experienced on their, on their search for the child. And Lord, I pray that today uh, that you would visit us with that, that kind of joy. With your presence, God, with the presence of Christ. Lord, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would strengthen us, that you would help us, that you would hold us, that you would draw near to us. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So 10 days ago, Joy and I celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary. Yeah. So for our anniversary, we drove to Louisville, Kentucky to see uh, one of my all-time favorite uh, musicians, Andrew Peterson, in concert. See, every year, Andrew does a, um, he does a concert called Behold the Lamb of God. It's a, it's a Christmas concert. And I've always wanted to see it. And so this year, when I was looking and, or thinking about making plans for our anniversary, I decided to check the tour schedule. And, the, you know, he does about 15 or 16 concerts, and they're kind of, you know, east in the United States and south, but nothing too close to Kansas City. But it just so happened that the closest date, or the closest that he was going to be to Kansas City was in Louisville, Kentucky. And the date of that concert happened to be the same day as our anniversary. And so I thought, well, this is a sign from God. <laughs> None of the concerts are close, but the closest one in Louisville is on December the 15th. This is just perfect. So I went ahead and bought tickets to go see it. Now, one thing I would do differently uh, when, I'm, when I'm planning our anniversary is I would ask my wife if she thought that was a good idea before I bought the tickets. <laughs> but I, I think it worked out because chances are if we had talked about it beforehand, we would have talked ourselves out of going, right? Um, we said, no, it's too far. It's, it's just one night, so why go to all the trouble? But I kind of booked the tickets impulsively, and for once it paid off because <laughs> we got to go to the concert. <laughs> So we drove to Louisville, Kentucky on the day before, so on the 14th, and it was uh, pretty treacherous, honestly. It was, the weather was bad. It was, it was when that cold front was starting to come in, and I was starting to feel pretty sick, and so I didn't feel good on the drive, and, and it just rained the whole time. And we get to Louisville around 9 o'clock at night, and we're, we're pretty tired by this point because the, the trip had taken longer because of the weather and such. And so... We get to Louisville, and as we're coming into the city, if you've ever been to Louisville, you know it's kind of like Kansas City. The only way to get into the city is to cross over uh, a river right there that's by the city. But the problem is that they had blocked the highway off on all sides. And no matter, um, you could get off on the exit ramp, you could go around, you could try to get up the other way, just no matter what you did. Even They even had detour signs, and you could follow the detour signs, and not even the detour signs would get you on the highway. Just, 
Something was going on. There were police everywhere. And I'm not sure why, but we could not get over that river into the city. And so I started to feel a little bit like um, Mary and Joseph, you might say, when they are on their way into Bethlehem and they cannot find a place to stay. And Mary's about to give birth to the baby Jesus. And, you know, that that feeling of panic started to set in. And I mean, deep down, I knew like, well, we'll figure out a way to get across that river. But for some you know, reason, I just in those moments, I just I, I had that feeling of like this. I don't know what to do. Uh, thankfully, we ended up talking to uh, uh, a convenience store, a guy at a convenience store, uh, you know, who was working there. And he told us about another bridge and another way to get into the city. And so we had to drive for a ways, but eventually we made it across the river and into the city and into the place that we were staying. Um, and so um, the next night, we actually got to go and see the concert and I can tell you guys, for all the trouble of that trip, and no matter, and even though it was really uh, a long and exhausting trip in many ways, it was, it was worth it, okay? And here, here's why it was worth it. Um, that night, as, as they were, you know, playing all the songs for the concert, there was one song in particular about, about uh, Mary, and it was called A, a Labor of Love. And in that song, it just talks about how hard it was for um, Mary to have the baby Jesus, you know, that she didn't have all the, the comforts of being in a hospital or a clean place or a house or her family wasn't there. Out of all places for, for her to give birth, it was on the floor of a barn um, in, in a stable where animals, you know, uh, live and that kind of thing. And so, and that song just, resonated so powerfully with joy in me that, that it, just, it just brought us both to tears just listening to it. And it was that moment to just, we got to behold the Lamb of God. You see what I mean? We, we got to, that moment just brought us into the presence of God in a powerful way. And so that whole trip and all the trouble and all the uncertainty and whatever it was all worth it because we got to behold the Lamb. We got to experience the presence of God in such a powerful and profound way. And so the trip is worth it. The, the, the text that we read through today, um, specifically in Matthew chapter 2, we see another uh, traveling band of, of men who discovered the, the same joy that I'm, that I'm talking about here. The same joy, the same exhilarating, exquisite joy that can only be found when we encounter the presence of God. The same joy that we can only experience when we see this miracle um, of, of the Son of God. So today, I wanted us to... Look at the journey of the wise men in Matthew chapter 2. I wanted to see, want us all to look at and see how God blessed, how God blessed their journey and how he blessed their efforts to seek, to seek out his son. So as we get started into Matthew chapter 2, 
we meet the wise men in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So who are these wise men? Well, according to, uh, according to the, the, the old song, right, there were three of them. <laughs> and they, they came from the Orient. We three kings of Orient are, right? We know that song. Um, but actually, there are maybe some other clues in here to help us understand who they are. They're often portrayed as three men because they brought three gifts, right? Remember that in verse uh, 11? It talked about how they brought these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, they brought three gifts, gifts, but that doesn't mean there were three men. Okay. It's likely that this was a larger delegation of men that had been sent out from another kingdom to honor the birth of the king of the Jews. So as you look east of the land of Israel... Um, and, you, and you start to ask the question like, well, which countries east of Israel would have had a, a Jewish influence within, within the country? And a couple that come to mind would be the kingdom of Babylon and the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. If you remember from the Old Testament, after the Jews were removed from the promised land, exiled from the promised land, they were taken to Babylon. And in Babylon, there was a prophet that uh, became very prominent in Babylon. Do you guys remember who that was? Yeah, Daniel. Yeah, Ezekiel was another one of the prophets too. But Daniel in particular was, uh, had a very, very prominent uh, political influence as well. Um, because you had King Nebuchadnezzar. And then when Daniel interpreted his dreams, that story is found in Daniel chapter 2. And when Daniel interpreted his dreams... It says that, that Daniel was brought, uh, that he became the, the second in power next to the king. And then from that point forward, even as the Babylonians fell and the Medes and the Persians came and took over, Daniel once again became uh, a ruler in the kingdom. Remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den? That's how when the Medes and the Persians came in, Daniel was put in prison. But then he was, um, again, exalted to a place of leadership. And so the Jews had... Prominence and influence in the Babylonian and the Medo Persian empires. And so it's, it's likely that the Magi or the, the wise men um, were a delegation sent from the Babylonian empire. Another reason that we could say this is possibly the case is that this term wise men is uh, a term specifically used for the, these, uh, this, no, this class of nobility um, from uh, Medo-Persia and from the Babylonian Empire. And so even the terminology seems to point to, not necessarily to the Orient or uh, like, the, like, the we three, like the traditional hymn goes, right? We talk about the kings coming from the Orient, but the terminology seems to point more to the Middle East and to the Babylonians and the Medes and the Persians and those who would have this group of, of this class of people that would be like advisors to the king and, and such. And so, yeah, so who were the wise men? They were Gentiles, right? We, we know that as well. If you look at verse 1, it says that they came from the east. If you look at verse 12... 
It says, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed, they departed to their own country another way. So they're, they're Gentiles as well. Okay, so we know they're Gentiles. Know they're from a, another country, um, likely from uh, Babylon or, or the, the Persian Empire, that, that area of the world. And so if, if, if they came from Babylon, which would be modern-day Iraq, Okay, then they're making a journey of about 600 miles to come to Jerusalem to search for this king, the king of the Jews. Okay, notice that they, that they have a, a specific reason that they're coming. In verse 2 it says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So why did they come in the first place? Well, they saw a sign in the sky. And with that sign in the sky, they, they connected this specific information that this sign was to point them to the, to the, to the land of the Jews so they could find the Messiah. Yeah, like you said. So... <clears throat> So they see the star in the sky. They call, it the, they call it the Messiah's star. They say, where is he who has been born, the king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. And so why are these men on this journey? Because God is drawing them. They see a, they see a sign, but they also have specific information. Okay, they, they, they're coming to worship the king of the Jews. That is very specific information. That's not something that you get from looking at the stars, right? You're not going to look at the stars and then just all of a sudden start thinking that, well, that star means that the, the, the king of the Jews has been born. Somehow or other, they, they have this, this message from God that has come to them. And they know that they need to set out on this journey to find this special person. And so you see God drawing the wise men through a sign and through his word, through his message to their hearts. He's pulling them to this place. So what happens from there? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. So we see Herod's reaction, and he is, he's not excited at all. In fact, he's worried. He's anxious in verse 3. He's troubled. And not only Herod, but all of Jerusalem with him. So that tells you the state of the nation at this point. You can imagine the wise men coming into town expecting to find a, a city on fire, a city of light, a city that's rejoicing at the coming of the Messiah. But instead they show up to a place of total darkness. And people don't know. They're like, we don't even know what you're talking about. It's probably confusing for them to arrive on the scene there. In verse 4 it says that, that, uh, uh, that Herod had... You know, he was troubled, and so he assembled the chief priests and the scribes of the people. So this is all the people who would know the scriptures. And he gathers them together, and he asks, 
where is the Christ to be born? So Herod is basically ignorant. He doesn't know. He doesn't know about the Christ as far as to where he's going to be born. And they right away, though, they, they, they know. He's born. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem, they said. In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so they know the word in their, in their minds, right? They don't, they don't know it in their hearts. They don't have the same kind of passion, the same kind of drive or desire that the wise men do. But they do know in their minds like the question and answer kinds of facts about the Bible. So Herod summons the wise men in verse 7 to see what time the, the star had appeared. And apparently it had been, it had, they had seen it quite a long time ago. Um, because it says later that um, Herod had, when he went to destroy the, the, the children in Bethlehem, that he destroyed all the children two years old um, and everyone below that. Okay, so that tells us that the timing of the star, the wise men had seen the star quite some time ago, and so it took them a long time to come on this journey. In verse 8, it says that he sent to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And we know that he's lying. He's trying to deceive them. <clears throat> so they go on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Notice Matthew does not say that they rejoice with great joy. It's not what he says. He says they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. That's another translation of this same verse. When they, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. This was the moment they had been waiting for. They left their homeland. They traveled all that way. They came to Jerusalem expecting to find the, the, the king. They come to the city of the great king, and, and he's not there. And maybe they were worried at that point, or maybe they were uh, discouraged, or maybe they were doubting, like, oh my goodness, we came all this way and he's not even here. Did we miss God? What happened? But when they see that star again, it says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is the most exhilarating and exquisite joy. They were experiencing the presence of God. It, it sounds like the star had been missing for some time. Notice in verse 9, it says, After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them. So they had seen the star in the east. They had come on this long journey. They get to Jerusalem. He's not there. But as they set out towards Bethlehem, all of a sudden that same star reappears and it's moving at this point. So it appears again and it's moving and it stops right over the place where the child was. And they were 
They were caught up in the presence of God and experiencing his joy. Suddenly they could look back and see that God had really been leading them all this time. They could see that the trip was worth it. See that? They could see that the trip was worth it. All the trouble they had gone through, through any kinds of uncertainty or doubts or discouragement along the way, finally they are right at the point of meeting Jesus and, and they are just caught up in this, this joyful experience. And that prepared their hearts. Look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And not only that, but they opened their treasures. And they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. So God provided God provided. God provided everything the wise men needed up to this point. Remember that in the beginning, God provided a sign, the special star in the sky. Then God provided his word. They had a message from God that the king of the Jews has been born. Somehow, in some way, God had communicated to their hearts this message about his son, and he was drawing them. God provided once again his word. Notice when they got to Jerusalem and they didn't know what to do because he wasn't there. It was once again the word of God that sent them on to Bethlehem. Again, they didn't know where to go, but the, Herod the king said, well, according to the prophets, it's in Bethlehem where you need to go next. And so Herod, even in, the, even in, his, uh, you know, even in his evil state of mind and his craftiness, God was still using him like a signpost to point these wise men to go to Bethlehem. God provided. So we see God providing through his word. We see God providing uh, just with a, with a heart and desire for these men to come and make this long journey. Um, and we see God providing his joy as they discovered the place where the child was. God provides. God provides. I wonder if you can look back in your life and see all of the ways that God has provided for you one day at a time, one step at a time. Over the years, God has provided for you so that you can meet his son as well and experience the same kind of joy. <clears throat> You know, I, I love to share my, my testimony with people and tell people how I came to know Jesus. And um, it wasn't an easy road. He had to uh, completely uh, take my whole life apart. Uh, I was a school teacher in, um, in Sedalia, Missouri. In my 20s, I'd been reading the Bible for about 10 years. And at that time in my life is when God decided to go ahead and make sure the message got from my head to my heart. And I began to experience the conviction of sin in a, in, a, in a powerful way. And I didn't know exactly what was happening to me because I had grown up in the church and I believed that I was a Christian already. But 
at that point in my life, I couldn't shake the feeling of guiltiness. And I couldn't stop thinking about the holiness of God. And I couldn't stop thinking about what was going to happen to me on the day of judgment. And I didn't have any peace about those things. And so I began to ask people, you know, what's going on and what's wrong and why am I experiencing these things? And they said, well, it sounds like you're going through some hard trials. Just, uh, you know, persevere through the trials and you'll see the goodness and the glory of God. But no matter what I did, I could not escape from that feeling of condemnation that was hanging over my head. And it was about a two-year process. I lost my job as a teacher. I was having so much anxiety over this that I, I couldn't continue to function like a, you know, on a day-to-day uh, basis. So I lost my job and, 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 yeah, just did nothing with my life for two years other than reading the Bible and, uh, you know, listening to sermons and things like that. But through that long process... <laughs> long and painful process of God taking away everything in my life that I found my security in, everything in my life that I found my identity in. God stripped all that away from me. And in that process, he brought me to a point and he just humbled me to a point of realizing that I need to repent. I need to believe in this Jesus. He brought me to a point of faith and a point of repentance. And when he did, he, he saved me. I was born again. And he, and he gave me his Holy Spirit. And he made me a new person in this great and exceeding joy that the wise men are talking about became my very own great and exceeding joy. And I, I love it. If you, could, if you could see this in the, uh, in the Greek, in verse 10, it says they, they saw the star and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's like Matthew is just he's just reaching for, you know, the, all the words that he possibly can. He's like, look, they didn't just rejoice. They didn't just rejoice greatly. They rejoice greatly and exceedingly. He's, he's just reaching for all the words he can possibly find. He's exhausting the language to try to describe this indescribable joy. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, he's trying to describe something that's indescribable. And this is the joy that God gives to his people, who he brings on this journey to discover him. And when we discover him and experience his presence, there is nothing like that joy that he gives. And guys, here's the beauty of it. Like, God wants to give you this joy. He wants you to have it. He wants you to experience it. How do I know that? Because I see it in the story of the wise men. Why would he want the wise men to have this joy and not you? No, he put this story in the Bible so that you might be attracted to, to this same kind of joy. So that you might desire it and, and, and yearn for it and long for it. And go on this same kind of journey guided by his word and by his presence and by his People and by signs all along the way to keep you going on the journey until you encounter this Jesus and experience this joy. There is nothing like it, nothing that compares to it. So, 
as the wise men conclude their journey. And they find themselves very likely, I just imagine the most intense feelings of adoration and worship as they are, uh, they are falling down before this little kid, uh, Jesus, at this point. I, I say he's a little kid because um, contrary to tradition, right, most of us probably know that the wise men came uh, quite a while after the, the birth story of Jesus. Okay, so the wise men, Jesus is maybe up to two years old. That's why, again, Herod killed all the babies or the, the children two years old and, and below. Two years old and younger just sounds funny. Anyhow, so, <clears throat> so they come and they, they, they worship and there's this little two-year-old running around the house, right? And, and they're, they're like, hey, stop that kid from getting in the plants. Bring him over here for a second. And they fall down and, and they're worshiping him. Okay? And at that point, they can look back over their lives and it all makes sense. See, up until that time, maybe it was confusing, maybe it was dark, maybe it was uh, scary at times, discouraging. But at that moment, in the light of the presence of God, they had the fullness of joy. And they realized, this, this is the reason. This is the reason why God brought us on this journey, why he brought us to this point. And guys, that's what it's like when you become a Christian, right? Finally, you can look back over your life at all of these twists and turns and, and, and things that have happened in your life, but all of those things to bring you to a point of knowing Christ. Because that's what life is all about. That is the reason <laughs> that we are here. The reason that God calls us on this journey. So, do you know that joy in your hearts this morning? Do you know the joy of finding Jesus? Do you, know that the, do you know that joy that the wise men experienced that morning? You know, again, back to, the, back to our anniversary uh, trip. And I said it was all worth it because once again, God brought us into his presence to experience his joy. So it's, it's not just a joy that we experience one time when we become believers. It's a joy that we continue to experience. It's a joy that he wants us to continue to experience. And he continues to guide and direct our lives in such a way that we will um, experience that joy again and again. As he continues to reveal himself to us. We need God to reveal us, we, uh, himself to us, but when he does, he will once again bring that joy to us again and again. <clears throat> So the wise men were seeking God with their whole hearts. They, they came maybe 600 plus miles to see Jesus. What about, the, uh, what about the Jews in Jerusalem? It says in verse 6, You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they knew the facts. They knew about the Messiah. They knew, look at, look at what it says here. They're quoting this passage. This is an Old Testament prophecy from the book of Micah. And it says, here's some key things about the Messiah. It says that number one, he'll be a ruler. Do you see that in verse six? From you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So they know that he's gonna be a ruler. They know that he's gonna be a shepherd. They know these things in their, in their heads, but their hearts remain unmoved. 
uh, unlike the, the, the wise men who traveled 600 miles to meet the Messiah, the, the Jews wouldn't travel five miles. That's the distance between Jerusalem and, and Bethlehem is five and a half miles. So they wouldn't go five and a half miles to, to meet the Christ. So I, I did the math. I did the math. The wise men traveled 110 times further to meet Christ than the Jews would have had to go. They came over 600 miles. The Jews wouldn't travel five miles. So imagine the Jewish people here, okay? They have the word of God, and so they know about the coming of the Messiah. Uh, they have the testimony of the shepherds, right? The, the shepherds, it says, they made, made widely known the, the, the birth story of Jesus and how the angels visited them. So there's, there's rumblings in the hill, hill country about this Messiah coming. Two years later, they have this delegation, this royal delegation show up in their city saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? And not even then are they willing to um, go in search of the child. So they have the word, they have messengers coming to them, but nothing moves them to go and see Christ. So we have a contrast here, don't we? We have these passionate seekers of God and the wise men, and then we have these apathetic people in the Jews. There's a disconnect between the head and the heart. They have the word, but it doesn't move them to any kind of action. So what's, what's the difference? In those two kinds of people. Why is it that the wise men are willing to travel, you know, great distances and, and make sacrifices and, and, and to go in search of Jesus, but the, but the Jews won't travel five miles? What's, what's the difference? What's the disconnect there? I want to hear from you guys. What do you think? Gift of faith? Okay. Yeah. Ultimately, I think you're, I mean, it has to come down to that, right? I mean, some people hear the word and they believe. Some people hear the word and they don't. That's right.
right? didn't expect God to do what he did there. Yeah. And maybe they had something completely different in their minds, right? Or something else they were wanting or searching for. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely see an apathy in, in these men in, in uh Verse 6, for them to know the truth, but to be unmoved by it. Um, I also see a pride, a pride in them as well. Um, so, yeah. Looking sp- specifically at, at Herod there, um, it's interesting to see that Herod, he's troubled and he's, and he's basically ignorant of the word. He doesn't know that the, the word says that the Christ is going to be born in Bethlehem. But then he, in verse 6, of course, he's told that, that the Christ would be born in Bethlehem. But then Herod, in verse 7... It says, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And his plan is to, to find the Christ and to put it into his life. And so, again, it's, it's an interesting, there's an irony there in what Herod's doing. Because on one hand, he believes in the prophecy enough to say that, okay, the baby's going to be born in Bethlehem. But on another hand, he thinks that he has the power to stop the Christ from becoming a ruler and a shepherd of the people. Do you see, you see what I'm saying there? Again, Herod has enough faith in the prophecy to, to say, okay, supposedly Christ is to be born in Bethlehem. But then he also um, takes it upon himself later in the story to try and stop that prophecy from coming all the way true to its ultimate fulfillment, which he would be born in Bethlehem, and then he would become a ruler and a shepherd of the people of Israel. And so Herod thinks that he can, he can stop the plan of God. And so that's the, you know, the ultimate sign of pride because he believes that he can oppose God and succeed in doing so. So, yeah, definitely a contrast in the different kinds of people in the story. You have the wise men who are seeking the Lord and they're rewarded by God. And then you have other people that have, they even have the scriptures in their hands. But there's a disconnect between their hearts. Okay. And they're no longer trusting in the scriptures. They're no longer believing in them. They're no longer drawing near to God through the scriptures. They're no longer following and obeying the scriptures. In fact, they... They think that they can usurp Scripture and, and, and be a, a law and a rule unto themselves. 
And we notice the fruit of that kind of lifestyle, or that kind of living. Um, in verse 16, it says, Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem. And so on one hand, you have the wise men who are passionately seeking the Lord and his will, and they experience this exceeding and great joy. And then you have Herod, on the other hand, who is ignorant of the word, who is usurping the word of God. And we see the fruit of that is this, this fury and, and, and murder and opposition to God and his plan. And so my, my hope and prayer for all of us today is that we would fall in that first camp, right? That we would be faithful to seek the Lord and his word and find that God is faithful to reveal himself to us and to uh, provide this kind of great and exceeding joy that we read about. So. All right. Any other, any other thoughts or questions about the, the text this morning as we wrap up here? Open floor. So is, is Epiphany, is that the, the coming of the wise men? Is that when that, that it's, it relates to that? Okay, cool. Very good. I want to read a verse to you here in closing. It's in Hebrews 11, chapter 11, verse 6. And it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, God, and we, we thank you for the, the, the scripture in, in Matthew chapter 2 about the coming of the Magi. Lord, you brought these Gentiles from far away. You brought them near um, to, to find Christ and, and to experience the exceeding and great joy um, that, we all, that we all get to experience when we meet Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you have provided in Jesus a way for us to, to be in relationship with you to be saved, to be reconciled, to be restored. 
And God, when we seek you by faith, when we make a, a diligent search for you, when we seek first the kingdom of God and, and your righteousness, God, Lord, you, you reveal yourself to us. Lord, you reward those who diligently seek you. And God, that would be my hope today that we wouldn't settle for anything less than the true joy that is found from seeking, from, from seeking you and finding you, Lord. I thank you that for everybody in this room today, we're not here by accident. You brought us here on purpose, with a purpose. Lord, there, you are calling us. You are beckoning us to come, to draw near, to see and to hear about who Jesus is. And from your word to just, to open our eyes to see him. Father, would you fill our hearts today with this great and this exquisite joy? That would be the, just the, the greatest gift that we could ever desire today. Lord, I pray that as, as we are gathering with family, as we are listening to Christmas songs, as we're fellowshipping together today, that, that you would be working in our lives to, to give us this joy. God, we need this. We cannot produce this on our own. Um, we get lost. We get turned around. Uh, we get bewildered, confused, we get discouraged, disheartened, and God, we need you through your word and, and just like a, like a star in the sky, Lord, <laughs> your word shining to, to guide us back into your presence, back into the fullness of joy. God, we need that time and time again, day in and day out. Lord, whether we've been a Christian for the first time today or whether we've been a Christian for 20 years, God, we, we need you to continue to supply this joy for us, to continue to lead us along in the journey of life. And all along the way, God, that you would continue to surprise us with joy and surprise us with, um, yeah, moments when we, we get to experience the power and the presence and the pleasure of knowing your son. Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters today, God, that they would be encouraged by your presence. Yeah, and that you would, you would just continue to lead us and guide us in the same way that you did the wise men. And God, may we beware of any kind of pride or any kind of apathy that's trying to creep in and uh, steal our hearts away from you or harden our hearts. Help us to humble ourselves today like the wise men did where they came in and they fell down before the little child and they offered him their, their, their best, their gold, their frankincense, and their myrrh. Lord, may we give our best to you today as well because you are worthy, Lord. And we praise you and thank you for all these things in Jesus' name, amen.